Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. A little bit of a different pod this week, um, or certainly an attempt at a slightly different pod. As has been explained before and I've talked about, um, I guess everyone should know that the uh, roundup was born in lockdown one um, as a way just to kind of summarise all of the the many, many, many webinars and Zooms and meetings and all the things that were kind of going on at the time. Um, and we've, yeah, we seem to have now got to a stage where we can get back to doing this type of stuff in person, which is incredibly exciting. Um, so today uh, I am heading up to the Innovation Conference at St David's College in North Wales, um, which I'm super excited about. And the the plan is to basically just kind of grab grab some of the presenters, grab some of the attendees and, and kind of just get a bit of a summary from them, uh, a bit of live feedback, um, see what their thoughts were, see what the key kind of takeaways were. Um, and then hopefully it's just a little bit of a, yeah, I guess a roundup of, of the day in itself as we go through the day. Um, for anyone that can't make it, hopefully a really enjoyable listen uh, as it will be. Yeah, I mean, there's some stellar stellar presenters. So Dr. Katie Fitton-Davis, uh, Stephen Rolnick, Danny Newcomb and Russell Earnshaw are the four headliners, um, which is a, a pretty phenomenal um, headline group. So yeah, I'll see how this goes. It might work, it might not. I've no idea, but I hope you enjoy listening um, and I'm really excited for the day. So we'll see. Uh, right, we are recording. So yeah, guys, if you just want to introduce yourselves. I'm uh, Katie Fitton-Davis. I'm a senior lecturer at Liverpool John Moores University. Um, I did my PhD in uh, physical education and movement uh, with uh, application of motivational processes. And that's what they asked me to talk about to an extent today. Awesome. Go on. Uh, and Cal Jones, I'm nowhere near as qualified. <laughs> I'm just a lowly sports coach. Uh, I do have a master's in coaching. Uh, but yeah, I'm here to listen rather than talk. Awesome. So the idea of this is, as I said, just a real kind of quick debrief for anyone that wasn't here today to understand, I guess, Katie, what your session was about. So do you want to give us like the real kind of overview picture and a little bit of a snapshot of, of what you talked about and what the key messages were? Yeah, so they asked me to talk about um, self-determination theory within physical education and the application of gamification. Um, so I took the opportunity to kind of give an overview of you know, self-determination theory, how it works, how it applies in the physical education context, um, and then kind of giving an overview of how coaches or PE teachers might actually implement, like, how to support um, basic psychological needs in practice, um, and then kind of linking that theory with gamification as a framework and how that works um, when it comes to kind of the strategies, and also then giving an overview of... Um, uh, a project that's ongoing at the moment using gamification and um, within an at-home kind of stability-based um, intervention for four to five-year-olds. Awesome. Um, why why SDT? Why, why is that your kind of go-to motivational <laughs> model? Um, it was adopted during my kind of PhD just because it's so flexible, it's so robust, you know, it's, um, it's very kind of user-friendly as well um, and it's quite uh, well, it's, it, in some ways it's hard to understand, in other ways it's quite very easy to understand um, and it can be adopted by more or less anyone and, and it kind of really has been adopted by everyone in, in a way, you know, uh, it's kind of branched out from like education, uh, sports, astrophysics, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of prevalent um, and, uh, and the reason for that is just that it's so robust, it's shown 
time and time again that when you support basic psychological needs, it um, supports autonomous motivation and that leads to just so many positive outcomes for, for children and for teachers, for those who implement it as well. Uh, Cal, top, top takeaways from the session? No, no pressure with Katie sat next to you, but <laughs> what, what did you enjoy? What, what do you think are the main, main bits? Yeah, I found it really interesting. We were discussing whether there was a minimum threshold for the level of autonomy that was metered out. So I know that there had been papers that discussed something as simple as being able to choose the colour of a ball that you're using for a game was enough to develop a more, um, more beneficial and more uh, intrinsic motivational climate. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to know whether that small snapshot would be enough or whether it would be a little bit of a, uh, an incidental amount of autonomy. Uh, obviously, as you get more and more autonomy in, you get more choice given to you and more freedoms, uh, your motivational climate will progress closer and closer to being purely intrinsically motivated. Yeah, really interesting. Fantastic. I, the, the paradox for me there is autonomy given to you. So that, mm. can we just dissect that it. a little bit? Like, sure. can, can you be given autonomy? Or do you just have autonomy? Like, is there is there a difference? Is there not? How, how does that break down? Because I think that's maybe one of the bits that people that would want to do this are kind of like, how, how can I give something to someone that maybe they already have? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is it's just in physical education as a, as a culture, really, because the kids have to do PE. So they already have to be there. The teachers already have to teach it. Um, so this is where kind of the, the continuum of self-determination kind of comes in. So we can't just assume that children will be intrinsically motivated. So, you know, they're there for different reasons in a way. You know, they, they might be there because they have to be or they enjoy. But with the, with the regards of kind of providing autonomy, it's kind of opportunity. So, you know, there are so many opportunities to provide to kind of open the opportunities basically for children to have that autonomy. So at the end of the day, the teacher is in control but they kind of bring the children up onto the same level by by kind of providing those opportunities even something as you know seemingly insignificant as choosing the, the color ball or you know a color bean bag or whatever um you know there's different kind of layers to it you know do they choose the activities do they um choose like you know things they can do in the warm-up you know is how, are they having that input into the lesson and then how much you know uh, control is the teacher willing to kind of hand over in a way still in a safe environment and it's more facilitating um than than, than dictating i guess nice i love that cal do you want to just talk us through maybe some examples of how you use this in in your coaching whether it be you know judo or whatever else is your coaching yeah sure <clears throat> uh, so essentially if for anybody that isn't familiar with the with the theory itself you have um autonomy relatedness and uh competence so you can try and uh, design, design practice sessions that encourage those things to be developed so if i was top down autocratic you must do this at this time these are the techniques this is how you do them uh, these are the drills that we're going to be doing uh, it steals an awful lot of the autonomy away from the people that are working whereas when you can design practice sessions that afford people the opportunities to make their own decisions to scaffold their own choices it can encourage a lot more of that autonomy uh, i would argue <laughs> that you build better competency by having a more a less linear approach so there was i think katie mentioned we had uh, some research showed that a linear model was shown to provide more feelings of competency uh, which i think is a really dangerous metric in fact you probably would be better to tell me if you end up having these feelings of competency that are based on uh, a bit of a flim flam a mirage you know if i only ever play tennis against the wall and feel like I'm incredibly good, 
the second I come up against somebody in a game and my skill sets don't translate, would that utterly destroy my sense of competency and completely kill my motivational climate? So my argument is I think that we build better feelings of competency that are more closely related to the actual skill sets. Uh, and relatedness is obviously just the way that we relate to the people that we work with, work with the people that are coming to us. Um, if we actually take an interest and invest in the people, I think essentially showing you care is crucial. A lot of the time people don't invest in the people that they're working with and it can have these uh, hierarchical, I am the coach, you are there, I tell you what to do, uh, which can really interrupt those uh, positive pro-social uh, relationships and forming. Fantastic. Um, really interested in the bit around gamification on the potential dangers of external rewards around points and prizes and all that type of stuff. Um, and we all know points mean prizes, which is all, <laughs> like in a lot of ways it can be good. So do we want to just like quickly digest that for people? W what is the danger of that w in relation to SDT and how they kind of fit together? Well, the, the research kind of shows that as soon as you introduce an extrinsic reward for an already intrinsically motivated behaviour, um, it undermines it. Um, so then the threat is that if and when that reward is taken away, that behavior then vanishes. Um, so that's the kind of like the general premise of it. Um, but we also have to be kind of mindful about the, the types of rewards and what we're rewarding basically. So the from the literature, it shows that uh, performance-based rewards are probably the most dangerous um, when it comes to, you know, it kind of evokes kind of comparisons with others. Um, however, in, you know, if they've done better than themselves, from the last one that would probably be okay you know like I'm doing better than myself that's my reward you know um, so it's kind of being mindful of what you're rewarding when you're doing it and why you're doing it what is it facilitating um, so if it's just if it's you know creating comparisons with other people um, making them, other children feeling being bad, you know, they didn't get the, you know, the star of the, yeah. of the lesson or whatever, you know, that can create instant, you know, disengagement from it. So you kind of have to be careful, but then it's also the context as well. So, you know, in sport, kind of arguably it's more kind of performance based. So, um, you know, maybe there isn't, I, I don't know, it's really, it's, it's a complicated one really, but, you know, physical education, I think most people would agree, is you're setting up the children for trajectories for the future yeah. and to lead out of school as well. So if everything is reward-based, that's not representative of real life. So when they go outside and they try these things and they realise there's no rewards for that, you know, they're, they've been undermined right yeah. from the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of just being careful about how we, how we implement them, really. But you would say in terms of, right, go and beat your last score. Yeah. So, you know, challenging yourself to be better, definitely a very good use of rewards in, in that as a process. I would say so, but I think, again, it still needs to be used with caution because just in case they don't manage to beat themselves, yeah. you know, it's, it's better because it, it disables that <clears throat> comparisons with others, but it's, there's still a threat of, well, I didn't do as well as I did last time, so what's the point kind of thing? So it's, then it's having that supportive culture in place, that safety, that kind of environment of safety for them to be able to, to fail, basically, and be able to come back. Makes me think, I don't know if you guys would have seen it, the Frank Dick clip on uh, athletics with the little girl I'll, I'll share it with you guys if you haven't seen, have you seen it no, oh, oh you both love it it's brilliant basically talks about little girl and he's a you know world class athletics coach comes up to him and she runs like 19 seconds or whatever it is and he's like 
okay, well, you've just set your own world record there. Mm. She's like, did I? I've gone from being really disappointed because she came last to, well, internalise it. That's the first time you've done it. Now you've set the bar. Mm -hmm. Then when you go and do it again, well, what happens next? Well, if you run 21 seconds, we've got some stuff to work on. If you go and beat it, do you know? So I'll I'll share it because I I think it probably chimes quite nicely with that. Um, Where can people check out some more stuff on this? What would be your top tips? Um, I think... There's some, I think um, AFPE are doing quite a bit of kind of, they work with, or the, the the journal that we're kind of working with a lot at the moment, or we've published in is um, Physical Education and Sport Pedagogy. Um, so I know that there's a link with that. So there's some definitely good work in, in there. Um, I know there's some kind of resources coming out to help teachers and classrooms to kind of access this a little bit more, but that's kind of work in progress. So it's kind of like a watch this space type thing, really. Okay, Cal, any top papers? Like, what's your what's your favourite go tos for this kind of stuff? Uh, <clears throat> Desi and Ryan's original paper, I think, is brilliant. It's really good reading. Um, but yeah, there's so much you can really. And uh, SDT itself is formed of different components. It's not just SDT. There's sort of subcategories that are also really really engaging. So yeah, dive in. It's really really engaging reading. Fantastic. Uh, where can people find you or get in touch if they want to? Social media, email, whatever um, that might be. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Ooh, everyone's on Twitter. <laughs> everyone's on Twitter. Everyone that matters on Twitter. What's your handle on Twitter? Uh, it's oh, it's um, <laughs> it at Kate underscore PhD twenty two. Okay, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes yeah. anyway. Cal, where can people find you? Uh, Cal Jones Judo Twitter. Yeah. Love it, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank that. You. Job done. Thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I'm here with Mo. Mo, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yep. Uh, hi, Phil. I'm Mo Jafar. I'm a lecturer of PE at University of East London. Uh, I used to be head of PE, uh, PE teacher as well. So, yeah, good to be here in person. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of the session we've just finished, which was Rusty kind of delivering a classroom session? So do you want to just let everyone know kind of what that looked like and what happened? Yeah, it was interesting because we were in another room watching the video of Rusty teach, which was, uh, was, was fun. So, um, yeah, he basically had some some groups put well he, he didn't put them into groups they kind of decided the groups and I think that's kind of intentional as well with sort of uh, allowing some autonomy um, and then they had some come up with some ways of how they were going to kind of look at the material that he, he'd given to them so everyone had their own kind of way of doing it which I think again was was engaging and you could see the engagement was like um, well he left the room for four or five minutes to come and talk to us and they were just buzzing still carrying on with it so it was it was good to see um how a task can engage, engage students straight away. Um, yeah, we had lots of questions come out from it, though, because you're always constrained by the syllabus and the scheme of work and the curriculum. Um, but I think from when speaking to us afterwards, he was keen on the mechanisms and the processes of how, how you get people to work together, how you get people to get engaged, how you make it sort of meaningful for them. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the things that he used in terms of, like, giving them the, that choice... Um, given the different levels of challenge. So you gamifying a little bit, using the challenges um, in terms of uh, questions. So there was an entry point for each student. So, yeah, no, it was, a, it was really interesting, brought up lots of questions. Um, and then how can you use that in your, in your practice? Even though you are constrained by spec, can you still use an innovative approach? And I think we kind of decided you can. The, the questions you choose or the topic content you choose can be dictated in a way by spec but the way you do it is is totally up to your creativity so yeah it was good 
And I guess that's the framework, right? So he's, he's effectively set out an idea that they've got to learn some material. And, and in this example, it was countries in Africa and, and they then quizzed each other on them and that type of thing. So the, the framework would be split them into groups, get them to start memorizing and learning some stuff and then maybe reflecting on how they've learned, how they're going to separate the information. And then he's challenged them. So do you want to just talk, we'll give everyone a rundown of like, the, the the spices in terms of the questions and maybe the autonomy that comes with more variability rather than just asking single straight up questions. Yeah, yeah, because he kind of ranked the questions easy, medium, hard. Um, so some like some of the easy ones might have been like what what questions, what is what is this country or or where. Um, <clears throat> we did speak about like how you do decide what's easy, medium, hard for a student, and that's quite a it's a tricky one to do, but. Um, yeah, a couple of solutions popped up within the group around having a bank of questions and you ranking them as a teacher or a coach and then getting the students to rank them blindly and seeing how, how you match up. Because even that process in itself might bring out some really cool um, just insight, really, to how close are you to what you think your students are. And, and, and yeah, so it's all about knowing your students, but also giving them a bit of chance to be involved in the process. You are listening to a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to find out more about this podcast and all the other great benefits you can get from being a member of Rugby Coach Weekly, why not visit rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more. That's rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more about how to become a member and receive a load of free stuff. Now, back to the podcast. Plus, how much autonomy do you think he gave the group? Like, is that is that something your lessons previously would have looked like, or you've seen other teachers? Would it be far more, I say, dictatorial in terms of the teacher or the coaches at the front delivering everything? And how far removed was Rusty's from that? For me personally, it wasn't that far removed from what I would do. Like, I would have people working in groups. I would have people with different entry points. Uh, I try try to have it, but sometimes. When you're in the hustle and bustle of a, a GCSE spec or an A-level spec, it's like everyone, in a way, everyone's being assessed on exactly the same thing. So it's like, at one point, you do need to get to this 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 mecca of answering this type of question. Um, so for me, it wouldn't have looked that that different. Um, I think we can probably give a little bit more freedom to students than we think, um, and I think we can still get the same outcomes. Um, people can like students can still learn and engage with the material without being standing at the front and being the one person to, to tell because actually a lot of things come out from each other. Um, there's a lot of research that says students learn from each other as much as the teacher. So, yeah, if you're kind of reducing those opportunities, then you are missing potential opportunities for learning. So, um, yeah, for me personally, I was like, yeah, this is something I would do quite similar. I'd probably be a little bit more close to the spec rather than uh, what country looks like a blowfish. <laughs> do, do you think the merits within that, if you if the independent work, I guess, and like independent work isn't going to be a shock to anybody that's probably listening to this, but actually we're just going to get way more benefits. So as you said, we're still going to get to a similar endpoint. They're still going to learn probably the same stuff we would if we told them or did something else. But actually there's just way more opportunity to, to engage and, and understand and reflect and do that based on the scaffold that you put into place when you plan that. Yeah, 100%. I think Katie's earlier session on self-determination and um, she spoke about creating kind of the framework or the environment you create. So all of these sort of standalone things like group work, um, using extrinsic 
and motivation, rewards and stuff, they are standalone things, but within a context. So the context you create will really kind of supercharge those activities you do. So if you've got an environment where students feel like they can contribute, they can come off script, um, then you, you're opening up opportunities for them to engage in their own way, which an engagement is the key for learning. Like if, if students aren't engaged and just doing for the sake of doing, then you won't get that deep learning. You won't get that learning that happens out of the classroom. So someone might come back now next week with a better way of doing because they've done it. But if you're just relying on you, then all the time, then it's, it's difficult for them to actually uh, to take anything because it's all yours, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think, like, the framework is important and, and the cultural environment you create to make any of those innovative practices work. Um, and I think, you, yeah, you just need to really be clear about what you're trying to achieve um, and, and just go with it 100% and, and not shut anything down. Don't reduce or close any doors because actually you might find some gems. Fantastic. Um, mate, we'll wrap it up there. Just let uh, let people know where they can find you, where they can engage with you. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, changed it to at MojafarPE. Um, email as well. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a long email address, but it's M. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. That's, yeah, that's easy. it's probably yeah, easier. Save you, save you, yeah, you thank you. But yeah, at MojaFar at PE. Uh, PE and that's me yeah perfect great stuff mate thank you very much uh, awesome guys so, um, fantastic day do you want to just maybe give the listeners a rundown of, of why you kind of set the event up and, and what was your rationale behind it and I will just say before that it's been a phenomenal day so thank you very much for putting it on I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it but just, just give us a bit of a rundown of your thinking um, I suppose we've kind of explored so much stuff um, over the last couple of years but all in the kind of virtual realm and so much is missed isn't it when you're not face to face um, we were just keen that people could you know not just sit and listen but have those opportunities to collide with each other in the, the down times you know a bit of food a bit of coffee on the way down to the pitches so really it was you know we're really keen to share what we do people have engaged with us but you know let's get everyone together and, and maybe we can start a bit of a ripple effect people can take some of these practices away and and maybe start embedding them or applying them. Yeah, and it, it felt like a natural point in the story, really, to reflect on who have been some some real influences on the way that we have shaped our journey over the last uh, few years. And not so that people could pick up a carbon copy of that, but they could be exposed to, to similar things and then they can shape their own meaning from that. Um, especially around the order of things with like Katie first with uh, looking at theories of motivation and then how that's applied in the classroom in an innovative way of Rusty and then how we unpick some of the language and the questions used with Stephen and then finally how that translates into P itself um, and leaving loads of room like Dan says for people to, to take what they personally need from that not um, what we think they should do. I think you know like um Name drop Sportacus. Uh, I think seven years ago, I contacted him on Twitter, and I think everything has to be. It's all individualised. It can't be authentic if you just pick it up and drop it in your area. You, you've got to be related to um, you, your, your like your physical environment. You know, uh, it, you're, the children that you or the people that you coach or teach. Everything is personalised, and I think today, you know, everything you've got a flavour of it. 
but you're able to say actually I can see how that would apply within my context and that's really key and you know the, the last two sessions as well there was some real practical applications you know getting Stephen Rolnick to give his time up um, I don't think I've been to a seminar where people are quite literally on tender hooks listening to somebody you know uh, give the, literally pearls of wisdom you know a, a, people are going to go away and hopefully look into this and, and, and create better opportunities for the kids to, to be self-regulated and to discuss. So, and then, you know, Danny Newton, the, the guy knows, doesn't he? And to have people who are in a local community teaching right up there watching and hopefully taking stuff away thinking, I'm going to apply this. That, that's, that's really rich for us. But it's not about St Dave's College, it's about, you know, us as practitioners. We not only want our kids to do well, but we want everyone else's kids to be supported. Yeah. And, you know, today was about sharing stuff. It just so happened it was here. Yeah, and we want them to feel supported as well. Part of a community of people who are trying new stuff, pushing the boundaries, because it can be quite an isolated place, just particularly if you don't have the, the support of the people you're working with directly. So... Um, hopefully from today people can go away with some some connections that they can call upon again when they, they face some bumps along the way and just um, have have the full support of everybody they've met today. I have to say I love the symmetry of the day to the principles that were being discussed in terms of effectively the day was a framework. Probably didn't know exactly what would come out of each of the sessions. Mm but there's been some really great learning and some really great conversations and engagement and everything else. And, and actually what the, the deliverers were doing was exactly the same. So do you know what I mean? It, it just mirrors up really nicely. So I get, do you want to guys just maybe explain a little bit more about what Stephen did um, without getting too deep into MI, but I just guess that the, the takeaways from how impactful that conversation between him and Danny was. I love this analogy about the dance. So um, <clears throat> the way you go about MI is the style of the dance and it it's one of empathy it's one of uh, curiosity and connection with the person you're trying to help and then in terms of um, the steps to those dance you reference uh, they're some of the more um, researched mechanisms to tease out the, uh, the help but making sure that that is placing the, the person at the center and you are very much the guide in that process, um, you're not trying to fix, you're trying to help the person to find a solution for themselves. But away from that technical stuff, which is of course available in his book, I mean, it was just sheer power. Um, the guy is so uh, thoughtful and considered and deep and connected and empathetic in the way he conducts himself. And that was palpable. Even even for a screen, you know, yeah. people were really genuinely moved by it. I think, and as included, he also um, he made people who were new to it realise that they everything they, everything they're trying to do comes from a place of real concern and love. You know, fixing that sometimes you know can be problematic. It isn't done because they they want to you know, cause problems. It comes from a place of love and concern. Um, so I think that, that put a lot of people who would think maybe or I, yeah. I might not be in uh, favour of this or I don't want to get it wrong or crikey, I do that, I, I shouldn't really approach this. It's that 
you know, you, you started from a really good foundation. Next is, you know, practice, use those steps. And to see it live was, um, was, was really powerful. And I think held a lot of meaning for people because coaches in here, teachers will have been in these situations and they've seen that they could replicate this and they could replace the conversations had with ones they've had themselves. So there was, there was a lot to that. That was a bit, I think it made a very, what could have been a very challenging conversation and a conversation that for most people would make them probably quite uncomfortable. And it made it seem very simple, not necessarily easy. I think there's a real practice skill in it. I think some people probably naturally are very good at that anyway, but it just came across as, as you say, very genuine and very fluid but really intentional in uh, the pauses got brought up afterwards, like how you pause when you're listening to somebody in a conversation. It doesn't make for great podcast listening, like, but just in a normal conversation, I feel like post-COVID, we get loads of people just want to talk over each other because that's kind of a Zoom thing. Like you have to butt in and, you, and I, it's now a real world thing. And I'm just like, I was in the middle of a conversation. Like, what, why have you interrupted me? It's a, it's a really bizarre thing. And I, I thought the way he held the conversation, really powerful. I think those eagle and mouse analogies, we've used that before, that you're outside the conversation, listening and thinking, you know, if I said this, what would happen? And at the same time, in the moment, re reacting as the mouse, you know, giving, giving content and, and, and asking questions. I think that, you know, we've done this a lot over the last three, four years. So I think it's, you know, you get, well, well, you get better at it. And I think that's the part to emphasize with today was, you know, it isn't easy and you do get it wrong, but it has such an impact. But out of it, when you use it with younger students is it creates a curiosity around that empathy that they're, oh, you, you're interested and you'll listen to me. And, I, and I'm, and then they become aware that they're actually, self-regulating and, and, and solving and then that you know transfers into their, their daily lives with their, with their peers and their other teachers etc so it creates not not just in a one-to-one -one situation it creates a better community do you think it's the fact they feel valued like if, if someone listens to you yeah. do you find that they they, feel. they then have a value to you they feel understood well, if and you, it, yeah and and when they can hear that you're hearing and understanding them that strengthens your relationship. Well, that's a part of the day, yeah. isn't it? Self-determination theory, there's, you know, that, that trying to create an autonomy, that's yeah. a value, isn't it? You know, uh, Rusty in stepping back and giving lots of opportunity, I feel valued as a learner. You know, Stephen's obviously the, the way you conduct yourself. And then Danny, you know, uh, the individualized stuff. You, you, these guys are in an educational establishment or, or they're being coached either voluntarily or they're there on a professional basis, but they're still there in your charge for a long period of time. And without feeling valued, you know, yeah. what, it lacks, a, it becomes hollow, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And that, that will rot from within and I think causes a bit of, you know, it, 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 lacks, it lacks something, definitely. Favourite favorite bit of the day, last, last question before we wrap up, what? I mean, it's hard to move away from the authenticity of Stephen's stuff. He did pose a question which would be interesting to just leave out there in the podcast world of um, why aren't we teaching kids how to have better conversations in school? 
Um, so if you're listening and you want to talk about that, then let's do it. <laughs> that was yeah. a point for me. Nice. Yeah, uh, for, for me, waking up at four o'clock thinking I want to turn up. Um, <laughs> people, t- people, t- people talking to each other that probably never yeah. would collide. Yeah. And people almost, you know, like, not that kind of nodding along, but like, what, yeah, those kind of things, that's cool. And like Ross says, you know, we're really keen to try and connect people up, you know, conduits, whatever you want to call it. And we want to do this kind of thing again at some point. And that doesn't happen unless people are interested, you know. Um, and the chocolate mousse is good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just echo all of that. And I, I just thank you guys for, for being willing to put it on. Because putting yourselves out there is always, is always like tough. And generally feels like it's probably one of the first real proper events to get back to like we used to before before the world changed and actually just yeah to have such a fantastic group of people in the room um and then to be able to do it for free um, um yeah and that was kind of i guess the reason for doing this it's it's something not everyone can make but actually just wanting to try and capture some of those live moments i guess and immediate reflections and and just share those because it's been a fantastic day so hats off to you both and uh, thank you very much and yeah uh where where can people get in touch if they aren't already in touch how can they follow you and engage with you um at mr lysett pe is my twitter handle and ross's mine is at underscore and coach um yeah probably the best too. probably the best yeah perfect yeah guys thank you very much fantastic Pleasure. day thanks Cheers, boss yeah so there you have it. That's the roundup for this week. Um, as I say, a little bit uh, of a different one. I hope um, the sound and the recordings came through okay. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the the kind of the hot takes and the the immediate reflections from the guys. Um, I know that uh, that Dan and Ross are, are always really happy to share what they're doing. If if anyone wants to reach out and, and understand that a little bit better or have some conversations as are all the guests, um, and as always, I'll, I'll kind of just tag them in the show notes so you can find them a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, as I say, I hope uh, I hope the, the change was a good one. Um, not sure I'll do this every week, but uh, yeah, just a real pleasure to to get out and, and meet some people face-to-face that I've been kind of, I guess, chatting with and, and learning from and everything engaging with for, for a couple of years and, and to actually kind of, yeah, put a, a real face to, to and some personality to, uh, to some Twitter handles and, and pictures was uh, was pretty awesome and a great day all round so thank you for listening uh, wish you all the best and go well <laughs>